What is good, Am Bush? And welcome to this week's episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast, baby. That's right, we're still going, even though we hit 100, even though most of you thought we wouldn't even make it past 10, we're still space trucking. And this week, we're continuing on forward with Ezra Jordan, as we talk all about his new EP, Cheap Therapy, and how Ezra also continues to keep moving forward, and we're going to give you a description of what I mean by that incredibly very soon. Before we get there, though, I want to go and mention I love DTP.com. Why is that? That's because I love DTP.com is the best place where you can go ahead and support the Desert Tiger podcast by going and getting yourself some Desert Tiger merchandise so that you can wrap the show every single place you go. And it helps us do things like get sick uh, gear upgrades. Before, it used to help us do things like travel. Unfortunately, we can't travel a lot more. But it helps us do things like get gear upgrades so that we can continue to advance the show to make it better for you guys all around the band. Yeah! All right. What do you say we get into describing a little bit about Ezra Jordan for you guys? Let's go! Soul-rich Canadian R&B alt-pop artist Ezra Jordan has recently released his debut EP, Cheap Therapy, and the new album is exactly that. As it was created and inspired by the falling out of a relationship and the positive growth that was driven from that moment. Originally a pianist with no true intentions of singing, it was another form of adversity that inspired Ezra to find his vocal range. A water skiing accident that had the potential to turn fatal had left this a lifetime musician without the ability to express himself through the keys, and through this, a new passion was born. Considering what Ezra has achieved since beginning on this new path, it's safe to say that the decision was definitely the right one. Having amassed over 4.5 million streams before the release of Cheap Therapy, and being a finalist on season one of the launch, just to name a couple of those accolades, Ezra continues to pave a path that he once never saw himself embarking on. Ezra Jordan joins the DTP to discuss finding his voice while recovering from an injury, what he learned from his time on the launch, and the growth that came with cheap therapy. Yeah, that's right, and we're even going to be giving a spin of a track off of cheap therapy for you guys right here, right now. Yeah, so why don't we go and give the lead track, the first track off of cheap therapy, a spin for you right now. So why don't you go ahead and take the time to let your hair Fall down. Velvet water underneath my feet. 
<laughs> How's your day going so far? It's been good. It's been uh, been hectic. I feel like I'm at least these days busier than I was pre quarantine. Things there's a lot of things happening, but it's uh, it's better to be too busy than not busy enough. So it's been good. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. Things to stay distracted with almost. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, the monotony gets to you. <laughs> so very true. Too very true. Ah. Uh, all right. So. We're here today to talk about, well, your new EP, Cheap Therapy, as well as a few other things. Yes, sir. Are you ready to jump on into it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I see that your beginnings were as a pianist. Actually, you didn't even have plans to begin as a singer. So, where is your beginning as a pianist? Was that your planned career as a musician? And at what point did you make the decision to be a singer instead? 
Uh, I definitely began as a piano player with, you're right, no aspirations to be a singer. And uh, that I, you know, pretty much as soon as I touched a piano, I knew I wanted to do that, um, or at least have that in my, uh, in my arsenal. So I, I started playing piano when I was four. And uh, I grew up in a musical family with, with parents that were singer-songwriters. So I think that part of the reasoning um, that I sort of stuck to piano and didn't do the singing thing is, is to differentiate myself from them a little bit. But I, you know, had this crazy accident when I was 18 and uh, sort of blew my, blew my leg up, for lack of a better term. And uh, I couldn't sit at the piano for a really long time. And because of that, I had no musical outlet. And that's when I started singing and writing. So that was a water skiing injury, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it was really fluky and weird. Um, you know, people hurt themselves water skiing occasionally, but you don't think of it as like a, a super dangerous sport. But this was, and, and I wasn't crazy intense about it either, but I was just going really fast. And, and when I fell, I, I fell in a weird way. And I tore everything in my knee. I ruptured my femoral artery. I tore all the nerves down the side. So just like a crazy, ridiculous accident. I had to get airlifted back to the city. It was, it was really, really serious at the time. Oh, wow. My goodness. This is pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. We didn't, and we didn't think it was that bad when it happened. I mean, my knee was dislocated, so it was definitely pointing the wrong way. And we saw that. And, it, you know, it's bad. But with one thing to dislocate a joint like you it's not life-threatening you would think yeah but once we got to the hospital nearby they're like no this is really really bad like you're i had internal bleeding so they, they had to rush me to surgery and it went from like oh you know he might be he might be out for six months to like oh he might lose his leg forever but i was really really yeah. lucky oh my goodness yeah it was, it was crazy but i was really lucky i had amazing doctors and, and some some good luck and i'm mostly back to normal i could walk and run jump and everything that i should be able to do so well and you can play piano too so that's a very big step at what moment in this recovery from this injury do you realize that hey a i can sing and b maybe this is something i actually want to pursue well i i had never given it a shot at all like you know i again like i come from a family where everyone is doing music basically all day and i never sang before this injury so like I I had no prior experience it wasn't like something I had maybe a vague interest in I had literally not even in a shower I didn't I never sang but uh, a few weeks uh, probably a few months into the recovery I, I had been back home for a little bit after my first major surgery and I remember I was singing this song by Alan Stone called Unaware and uh, it has this crazy high modulation at the end and I was just obsessed I had been obsessed with it for the last couple months and I kept singing it over and over and over again because it was so satisfying and one day my mom just walked into the room because when I was singing the crazy high part she's like since when do you sing <laughs> I was like I, I don't know I I guess I can and it just kind of grew from there once I could get back to the piano I started singing and playing the songs that I you know just things I liked off the radio and whatever and I, I just really found a love for it so it wasn't too long after that that I started writing and I, I obviously had a lot to write about because of the crazy year that I had so it just blossomed from there absolutely no doubt so then you become a singer songwriter and was pop your first decision was that what you were naturally drawn towards uh partially I have kind of a, 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 a I call three-pronged uh, influence kind of thing. I mean, I, I love pop music and I think that there's something great about a really well-crafted pop song, but from a, uh, like my musical tastes for just what I enjoyed listening to 
we're not usually pop. It's like some pop songs, but there's a lot of pop songs that I found to be just kind of fluffy and, and didn't interest me that much. Yeah. I grew up with a lot of um, jazz in the house. My dad, well, you love uh, Dave Brubeck and Miles Davis and Art Tatum and guys like that. So we listened to a lot of that growing up. And my mom loved classical music as well as, you know, pop and alternative and, and all kinds of stuff. So I sort of found myself t- somewhere in between three things. There was obviously the, the pop music that I liked. I loved uh, Coldplay. So that's kind of it's pop music, but it's with substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the singer-songwriter thing, you know, like the, the Bob Dylan stuff. And that, that's something that my dad is also really into. And then I loved the R&B and funk side of things. And that was, I was really drawn, drawn to like uh, D'Angelo, John Mayer is sort of somewhere between that R&B and, and singer-songwriter thing as well. So Coldplay, I think Coldplay, D'Angelo, and John Mayer were three three really, really big influential artists uh, that I grew up listening to. And I think my sound lives somewhere in between the three of them. All right. Fantastic. Some really big influences and you can definitely hear all of them within your music. So let's talk about the actual process of transitioning from deciding to sing to actually starting to release singles. What was that like for you to actually like record being from a musical family? Was it an easy transition? Were they very supportive of you in this? Yeah, they were always really supportive, and I think that they really did a great job being supportive without being too pushy. I mean, they I think my parents are really happy I'm in the music industry, but they never forced anything on me other than, you know, they wanted me to keep playing piano until I was, you know, late enough in my teenage years to really make a decision. So there were so many times, you know, when you're a kid, you don't want to do your piano lessons. So they forced me to keep up with that. But other than that, they kind of just stayed out of my way and, and didn't pressure me too much. But I think they're really, really happy that I am doing the music thing and I learned a lot watching them do their their thing like both at their shows when I'd uh, go see them as a kid and and just watching them write at home because they had their their own little home studio set up so I kind of didn't realize what I was taking in until I started writing stuff myself and uh, there's all these little tips and tricks and and things I'd seen them do that I started to uh, apply to my own stuff and I was uh, I just kind of started dabbling in in recording in GarageBand and soon it evolved to Logic and, and some more uh, advanced recording software and I'm, I've always been kind of a techie nerdy guy too so that kind of went hand in hand and, and finally I just banked a bunch of songs and, and by chance met my manager and he helped me put it out so it was really just an organic growth thing over a few years I think what was the biggest um, the biggest like step before I put that led to really directly putting out music was dropping out of university I went to the University of Guelph, and then I, I dropped out, and I ended up going to school in Los Angeles. And that's where I really started uh, honing in on, like, really writing a lot of songs and, and focusing on making a career out of it. Okay, were you going to school in Guelph for music or for something else? Uh, I went for music. I mean, it's, it's an arts degree with a major in music. I, I was pretty sure that I wasn't really going to finish that degree when I went there, but I just didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. When, when my knee injury happened, it was, this, like two weeks before I was supposed to head out to Guelph and I missed that whole year because I was recovering. And then I went back, you know, I started first year a year late and that, you know, it was, I went through first year and it was nice to get a bit of the college experience, but I was 20 at that point and I was, you know, in residence. I didn't really know anybody and I felt like a grandpa. And <laughs> after first year, I was like, you know what? I, I think this is probably not the best use of my time. So I, it's not really like a, a music program that focuses on songwriting and creating like a, an artist career more. So it's like learning about the theory of music and maybe learning how to teach music to other people. So that wasn't really my goal. And I, I just thought I was 
better served going to the Musicians Institute at LA, so that's what I did. All right. So, what exactly did you learn out in the Musicians Institute that helped you with your songwriting, and how did it help you grow as an individual? Uh, I definitely what one of the best things I learned was just kind of um, the course that I took or the program. Sorry, was called the Independent Artist Program. So it isn't very specialized. It's more of like a crash course in all of the basics you need to be an indie artist these days because it's really different than when my parents did it, for example. You have to be a bit of a jack of all trades. So it wasn't just like, hey, make your music and we'll tell you if it's good. No, it wasn't really like that at all. There was definitely some production, some engineering, some songwriting classes, but we also did business classes, media classes, Photoshop classes, marketing classes, like all these other things that you need to think about in order to shape yourself into not just a musician, but like a marketable product, basically. So that was a nice crash course. And the other great thing about it was I was in LA with, I knew almost no one there. So for the six months that my program took, I wrote, I think I wrote 60 or 70 songs in that time. I just hold up my room and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I think that the songs I was writing by the end of it were a lot better than the songs I was writing at the start. So that's what you got to do. Cool. Awesome. So how do you end up getting onto the launch season one, episode four? Um, that was, uh, I, I think I just got a little bit lucky. I mean, I, at that point, I had already met my manager, and uh, he, his, his name's Lucas Len. He's the best. He, he took, like, after I came home from L.A., I was back in Toronto thinking maybe I'll move back to L.A. once I get my paper sorted out. And I had all this music banked, but I didn't have a producer to work with. I didn't really have people that I, I hadn't finished the music it wasn't and I hadn't certainly hadn't put it out mm-hmm. so I'm him he helped me do that and once I had a couple singles out I think that some of the people that how these like tv shows work is they have open auditions and they also have an A&R team that seeks out talent that they want to join the show so I was approached by one of their A&R guys and just said hey we think your music is cool and you're sort of an up-and-coming artist why don't you audition and I sent him some self-tape stuff and that's how I ended up there I think they just thought that uh, I would fit the show and they liked what they saw when I did the self-tape, and I ended up doing it. That was a, a crazy, surreal experience, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. It films in 48 hours, right? Yeah, oh, it was really quick. And I think, I mean, it's it, how that show specifically works is that there's a different uh, group of artists every episode. And even though my episode was the fourth one to air, it was the first one to be filmed. So they were definitely figuring some things out. And it was like, it was crazy the amount of time, the amount of things that they got done in such a short window of time. And you know, once you get past the audition phase, they're like, great. I, I was lucky to make the top two. So they picked me and, uh, and Posey, the other, other finalist. And they're like, great, here's the song. Go learn it tonight. And you're going to sing it tomorrow morning. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I literally had like, you know, six hours to learn it and then sleep and then get up and, and just be ready to sing it in the studio. It was, it was wild. Wow. So and even though it's 48 hours, you do get to be around quite a few industry professionals. So even though you did get quite a bit of knowledge from the Musician Institute of Hollywood, what did you manage to learn in those 48 hours at the launch? Um, definitely one of the things that I picked up, uh, my mentors were uh, Stefan Macchio and Fergie. And uh, First of all, Stefan Macchio, he actually worked with my parents long ago when I was a kid. I've, I've known him since I was a kid. So he's uh, always been, Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was total. I had no idea he was going to be on my episode until I walked out there for the audition. And he was sitting there. I was like, what? Stefan, I, I had no idea. So that was crazy. Uh, and he also has a piano player, like piano 
piano is his main instrument besides producing and writing. He's a fantastic piano player. So I've always looked up to him uh, in that regard. It was really awesome to get the chance to actually work with him. And uh, during the recording phase, he was like so dialed in, laser focused, like every little detail, every nuance of the performance he is totally zoned in on. So he, you know, I would sing a line and be like, that was great, but you actually closed your mouth a little bit on this constant of that word and sounded just a little bit dull. Could you just re-sing, re-sing the line with that in mind? I'm like, I didn't even know I did that. How did you catch that? So just the level of detail, um, really, really, I learned a lot from watching that. And then Fergie, uh, I mean, I, I used to listen to Black Eyed Peas all the time when that, that album Elephunk came out. So it was pretty awesome getting to work with her. And just she taught me about how to work the stage and work the crowd a little bit more because that was something I was pretty new to. Even though I had been performing live already for a little while, I was always behind the piano. And this was, they threw me right into the fire. I mean, I, I was on like a nationally televised program in front of a live audience with nothing but me, a mic stand, and someone else accompanying me on my piano and cello. So it was really stripped down. And she, she made me feel a little bit more comfortable with moving around the stage and sort of commanding the room. Hmm. So when you actually take the mic off of the mic stand and you actually start interacting with your crowd, that's the first time that live you've ever had to do that. Oh, yeah. But yeah, first time I've ever done that. And even before I took the mic off the mic stand, I'd never sang without playing piano in front of a crowd. <laughs> hmm. I'd always, it's like you feel a little bit more insulated once you're behind that piano and you can sort of... I don't know, you just have something to do with your hands and you have something else taking your mind off the fact that you just like it. Once, once it's only you and a mic stand, there's nowhere to hide. So I, I really had to get used to that. Mm-hmm. Definitely a different uh, way of commanding the energy in a room for sure. Yeah, but it, it has its own benefits. I mean, I love I love playing piano and I like to um, showcase that side of my, my abilities, but it has a different vibe when you're able to actually interact with the crowd and touch their hands and whatever, like walk around the stage. It just, it's playing, playing and singing is all well and good. But if I'm sitting behind the piano for like a 45 minute set, you know, sometimes the audience can begin to think about other things and lose that. You can lose their attention. So if you get up sometimes and you sit down sometimes and you, you move around, it really creates a more uh, exciting show. So I learned that from her for sure. All right. Fantastic. Well, it's good that you had the opportunity to learn from such amazing well-versed industry professionals through that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're, they're top of the field for sure. It was awesome. So now that we found out all about Ezra's experience on the launch, I want to find out more about what has happened after that. One of his songs has recently surpassed a 1 million streams on Spotify alone. Of course, we still need to get all of the details about that new EP, Cheap Therapy. We're even going to be spinning you another track off of that EP as well before we get back into this conversation. I just want to take a moment to tell you guys about the new Sick Desert Tiger Podcast merch over on at ilovedtp.com because not only is ilovedtp.com the best place where you can support the Desert Tiger podcast. It is where you go and get yourself decked out in the latest and the greatest of Desert Tiger podcast swag, merch, gear, whatever you want to call it. You go there, you shop it, you rep the show every single place you go. We just got in some new sick hats and beanies to help you do exactly that. 
We've been getting some messages from people asking for some more summer style items. Some things with maybe a little bit more color. I know we've been sticking to the uh, classic all black. Sorry, I grew up an emo kid, man. I grew up an emo kid. The all black is something I'm associated with, but I hear you. I hear you when you say you want more color, so we're working on that too. We're also working on a lot of other really cool things. But until then, you can head on over to ilovedtp.com to find some really cool items to hold you on down until then. Yes, it really is that easy. And easy actually just so happens to be the name of the song that we are just about to play for you right now. Yeah, what a transition. Some would even say that the transition was easy. Driving home, waiting for every single red light. Take your time, I don't mind. I could sit here all damn night. Yeah, that would be alright. Constantly fighting with all these expectations Trying to swim, sinking in Wanna leave this conversation Have it another time I thought that we fixed things Last time when you spilled that red wine Suddenly we're kissing, lying on the kitchen floor Oh, oh, and now it's hard to breathe Feel my heartbeat Oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy How am I gonna let this slip Straight from my lips Oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy Some way to make this easy Easy Oh, oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy Make this Say what you need to say Maybe hard to hear it Pour a drink, let it sink Maybe that'll clear things up I guess it's worth a shot I thought that we fixed things Last time when you spilled that red wine Suddenly we're kissing, lying on the kitchen floor Oh, 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 and now it's hard to breathe Feel my heartbeat Oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy How am I gonna let this slip straight from my lips? Oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy Some way to make this easy Easy some way to make this easy Some way to make this easy Easy Oh, oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy I thought that we fixed things Last time when you spilled that red wine Suddenly we're kissing Lying on the kitchen floor Lying on the kitchen floor It's hard to breathe, feel my heartbeat Oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy How am I gonna let this slip straight from my lips? Oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy Some way to make this easy, easy Oh, oh, I wish I had some way to make this easy Some way to make this easy 
Desert Tiger Podcast. And then the same week that that episode releases, you end up releasing a single Lonely Now, which actually just broke a million streams, I think, last week. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, yeah good, good, uh, good research. Yeah, it did. I did. That was really great timing. We had planned on releasing that single uh, around that time anyway. And then once they contacted me to be on the show, I'm like, well, regardless of what happens with the show, this is going to be great PR for that single. So it worked out nicely. And that was one of those songs. I think I wrote the original Lonely Now uh, before I even went out to LA, if that's possible, or definitely a long time ago. It started like, I still have the original demos somewhere, and it started off really quite different than how it ended up. It's one of those songs that you just, I wrote, and I rewrote, and I rewrote, and I did like a pop version, and a country version, and this, it took so many different forms, but it was nice that it finally ended up where it is, and, and apparently people liked it, so it got to a million last week. All right, fantastic. Like I said, congratulations. So let's jump into this new EP, Cheap Therapy, that recently released. So getting into the details about it, looking into it, uh, I saw that it was about a breakup. So were these all songs that you had written after this breakup had happened, or what was this process like for Cheap Therapy? Uh, so it was partially about the breakup and partially it was really about the whole life cycle of the relationship. So uh, I, I would about half of it was written after the breakup and half of it was written before. And it was really like a, the journey from the beginning all the way up through the highs and then down through the lows and then back to normal again. And um, it was, a, it was I, you know, that wasn't my first relationship. I've broken up before and it's always been uh, hard in one way or the other. But this one for for just I think because of the circumstances that we broke up under it was kind of a unique thing and I think that I learned it it triggered a lot more personal growth than I had uh maybe experienced through breaking up with with uh, other relationships in the past just because it was we didn't it wasn't anything to do with like hey I don't want to be with you anymore it was totally a uh like a pragmatic sort of reason to break up and we were in the middle of Southeast Asia when we did it it was all really weird and just it was a crazy long process, but I, I got a lot out of it personally growth-wise, even though it was really hard, and then that's why what this album was inspired by. Okay, so exactly how did this, what a lot of people would look at as a negative situation, how did it help you grow positively? Uh, I think the biggest takeaway after all was said and done, and at this point I'm you know in a, in a happy place and i we ended on good terms. It's like I, there's no ill will or anything. I, I totally wish her well and, and want the best things for her. But, you know, I, I, one of the reasons that caused us to break up was my own inability to, like, express how I feel. And that it's not the first time that's been a problem for me, but it was definitely a problem in our relationship. And then once we actually did break up, I had this overwhelming rush of feelings that I was totally unprepared to handle and I it just like changed my I I had like no control over my thoughts really it felt like so it was really eye-opening that way because I feel like I'm not the only person that's experienced that and especially for guys it can happen to anyone but I think that men in particular we don't grow up with a lot of guidance in terms of expressing our feelings and I know for me it's always been through songwriting that I express how I feel but I don't I don't know how 
other guys, like my, even my friends, I, we hardly ever talk about, you know, how we're feeling and are, are you doing okay after you break up with them? We never check in on each other like that. And I, I just thought that that must be a really hard thing for not just myself, but for a lot of people to deal with. So that was a really big light bulb moment for me that I only realized um, after this whole process was over. No, and it's absolutely true where we just assume that this person has moved on, but your friend could be holding on to this moment for a long time and you never know exactly how it could be affecting them. Yeah, and we're not raised to really talk about it that much. I think that for whatever reason in society, there's sort of an expectation that girls have an easier time to going to their friends for help or talking about how they feel. And I think that it's really sometimes, you know, happens to everyone, but especially guys struggle with that. So it was, it was something that I was really glad that I was made aware of after this whole thing was over with. Okay. Fantastic. In learning that, has it helped you with expressing other things that maybe you were having difficulty in doing so? Totally. Totally. I think that it's, there's been a lot of times where I've realized that, even if it's something that's less um, serious than, you know, a, a full-on breakup or something, if it's just something that, a situation that makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to talk to the person about it because I don't want to seem needy or broach and breach like a, an uncomfortable topic, I, I remind myself that you're never going to get what you want unless you ask for it. And that, I always used to try and tiptoe around, uh, around those sensitive subjects and try and you know, get through them with as little conflict or, or like direct confrontation as possible. But sometimes it's not the easiest way in the long run. So that's definitely changed since, since this whole thing went down. Well, definitely. And trying to avoid something, you can end up creating more work for yourself in the long run. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So there's quite a few different songwriters that you had the opportunity to craft these songs with. Were they all recorded in different locations because of this fact yeah it was kind of a bit of a run and gun kind of thing i love well i'm i'm a total uh like i said i'm kind of a nerdy tech guy and there's so many different plugins and ways to record things available these days that you really don't have to be in like one fancy recording studio to record things you can make sound pretty good with just a laptop and and a decent microphone so i wrote uh some of the songs that I wrote were on a writing trip to LA and uh, I went on like a whole West coast swing. Um, and I, I wrote a bunch of, had a bunch of co-writing sessions. So a few of the songs were written there and we did some demo recordings there. And sometimes part of those made it into the final product. Some of the stuff was written with people that I write with here in Toronto. And um, in, in the case of like Carefall Mountain, for example, that started in LA and then um Oh, sorry, not Hair Fall Down, uh, for Cliffs, sorry. That, that started here in Toronto, and then we, I recorded it with, like, a, or I wrote it with a writer and a producer. We had a demo, and then I took it over to Ottawa to Elijah Woods, who's another guy off, off the launch, and he added a little production, and he, he helped me mix it and, um, and wrote the vocals. So, like, everything was kind of done wherever the people that I wanted to work on it with were located, and we just kind of pasted it all into one thing. So it's an amalgamation of all the places that I went uh, during the time this was being made. All right, fantastic, fantastic. And then the EP finally releases on April 9th of 2020. Unfortunately, due to the circumstances worldwide, you're not able to do a actual like album release show with a crowd in person, but you've been making 
the most out of these opportunities with some home sessions and some other things. So what has it been like adapting the release schedule for Cheap Therapy? Well, it was definitely a bit of an adjustment. We had a whole marketing plan and there's, you know, we have, we budgeted for, for things like, you know, getting some ads in the TTC or like billboards and things like that. And, you know, it, billboards aren't that helpful when there's no one there to look at them. I think that's kind of the whole point. So <laughs> we definitely had to pivot away from some stuff like that. But the way that uh, obviously the, the quarantine has affected everyone's lives, but the way that people consume media these days is mostly online anyway. So if you can double down and especially with everyone having not much else to do, then go online. If I have efforts uh, like I have been into, you know, making as much content and putting it online and, and marketing my EP that way, it would have been great to have a live show with a live audience. I love to do that. But at the end of the day, I can still reach, reach the fans and reach people and, and, and get my music out there. So that's what I've been focusing on doing. And we have some more, it's not even over yet. I mean, I can, neither is the quarantine. So we're going to keep doing stuff until it's over. And uh, we have, um, this is still in the early stages, but we're planning a really great music festival with a lot of other artists. Um, and that's going to be in mid-May. And um, I, I'll be playing, I'll be probably hosting it and playing a bunch of my own music as well as having tons of other artists. I'm not even sure how many we're going to have yet, but it's, it's a big number. And, and that's going to, just some of the things that we've been sort of occupying ourselves with because there's um, everyone's got the time to, to, to collaborate right now. So we're trying to make the most of it. Fantastic. I'm glad that you guys are doing that. So with something like your home sessions video, how do you go about coordinating something like that? Luckily I have an absolutely awesome band and they know my music and they're, they're good friends and we've been on some tours together. So I just kind of, we started with the drummer Julian and he actually is also a great producer in his own right. And he co-wrote some of the, uh, some of the stuff on the EP, but he just, since the song is already ready, he has a click track in his ear and he lays down the drum groove and plays along to it while he's filming it. And then we send that audio over to me. I put down a little vocal. We send that audio over to my bass player. He listens to that and lays down a little bass on top of that. Then we send it to the guitar player. He lays down a guitar part on top of that. Then they send it back to me. I record a proper vocal, I mix everything and make it sound good, maybe add some keys if it calls for it, and then my uh, my manager syncs it up and, and, and makes all the, the videos and graphics and stuff. So um, it's kind of a, a labor-intensive process in a way, but everyone just gets to put their own flavor on it, and then we put it all in one, and, and it's totally live, one take, four different times kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun to make. Well, and it's actually ends up sounding pretty dang good too. So that's always a plus as well. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, I, I'm a total gear nerd in terms of like software plugins. So I just it was just a chance for me to use all my toys <laughs> that I have in my laptop and 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 get creative with it. So that was a lot of fun. All right, fantastic. So before I ask my last question of the day here, Ezra. Where can the listeners of the Desert Tiger podcast find out more about Ezra Jordan? You can find me everywhere that you look on the internet for music. I'm on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube. Um, I have my own website, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook. It's all under the same name. It's Ezra Jordan. So if you if you look me up on any of those platforms or just on Google, uh, then you'll find my music and you'll find everything that I'm uh, working on. All right. Okay. So normally I would ask for like, something to inspire someone who maybe is in a down situation. So right now we're in the quarantine and you're adapting and making the most out of this opportunity. So say there's someone who is at home and maybe is having a little bit of trouble getting inspired to be creative 
during this time, even though maybe they have the opportunity to do so. What would you say to that individual, Ezra? I would definitely say that, first of all, I understand that feeling because as much as it seems like I've been staying busy and working hard, which is true, it was not the case for the whole quarantine. I had a tough time adjusting for sure. And I think the, the thing that pulled me out of it the most was just, just, I mean, it sounds stupid, but just start. And you don't, I was worried about like, oh man, I have all this time. I have to like finish songs and write this and do that. But I, it's overwhelming to look at it like a massive project like that. I just started, I just made a little loop on Ableton. I just, just for fun, I just laid down like a drum loop and played some chords and messed around. Nothing came of it really. It was just a short little loop. But that was the little spark that really got me back into the swing of working on things. And you just have to start with a little baby step. Just make something and don't have any expectations. So that was, I think it was because the expectations and the pressure was what was stopping me. And I think that's what's stopping a lot of people. So you can remove that from the equation and just make, make use of 15 minutes. And then it'll blossom from 15 to 20 and then 20 to 30. And soon enough, you're, you're creating a whole mess of content you had no idea you were even going to make. No, a tiny spark can become a really big flame in a very small amount of time for sure. Exactly. All right. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ezra. And good luck with the rest of the EP release for Cheap Therapy. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on, and I hope you hope you can stay safe and stay sane. <laughs> I hope the same for you as well, and I will do my best. Great. Thank you for having me. Follow slowly, take your places. I don't wanna go. Do you know me? Yesterday of color show. Mm -hmm. Simple smiles with hidden meaning that I never saw. Running empty with nothing else but you and my thoughts. So I let it out. Oh. Save me, cause I'm going crazy again So I let it out Take me to safety Cause I'm going crazy again So I let it out Drinking it, I hate the taste But I kinda like the burn truth I swallowed all so I could finally learn that I gotta let it out only to save me cause I'm going crazy again so I let it out take me to safety cause I'm going crazy
The song that you just heard is called Let It Out. In the middle of the show, we played Easy For You, and we kicked off this episode of the DTP with the lead track off of Ezra Jordan's new EP, Cheap Therapy, and that track was entitled Hair Fall Down. You can find all three of these songs, including the rest, the entirety of Cheap Therapy on, yeah, you guys already guessed it, on your favorite music streaming service. And I highly suggest that you go ahead and do so. I want to go ahead and give one last roaring DTP thank you to Ezra Jordan for joining us here today. And I want to go ahead and thank Eric Alper for helping with setting it all up as well. Last but not least, we have another one of those roaring DTP thank yous for you, the listener of the Desert Tiger podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, maybe you want to go ahead and hit subscribe. Maybe you want to join the ambush and continue to find out what Desert Tiger is all about. Maybe you want to review the show on iTunes or on Podchaser. Five stars would help us out tremendously. And maybe, maybe just maybe you enjoyed this episode enough that you want to share it on your social media. If you do, if you went ahead and tagged either me, The Colton G, The Desert Tiger Podcast, or Ezra Jordan, we would be very ecstatic if you went ahead and did so. Yeah. So it's just about time that we went ahead and bid you adieu. But of course, before we do that, we just want to go ahead and wish you the best. I hope that you guys are all happy. I hope that you're all healthy, both mentally and physically. Both of these things. Very, very important. And I hope I hope that you stay driven towards whatever it is that your goal is, that you climb that mountain, that you put your paws in the sand and you cross that desert to whatever it is your goal is. And maybe, maybe right now this adversity is the exact thing that you need to inspire you. All right, until next week. Bye-bye.